the wilderness. A good example to us, for sure, of how we sometimes do stray. Well, if you'd like to open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3, we'll look at the latter part of the chapter, verses 8 through 16. 1 Timothy chapter 3, beginning with verse 8. In like manner must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given too much wine, not greedy or filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience, and let these also first be proved, then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. For they that have used the office of a deacon well purchase to themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the nations, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing upon the reading of the word of God and the blessing upon our own hearts and lives that we might receive these things and understand them as your Holy Spirit is able to minister them to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we look at this passage, we, we see also the qualifications for a deacon, but much more uh, is exposed here to us, that being that the church is the pillar and ground of truth. Uh, isn't it wonderful that we have the truth, that we might be grounded in it? And uh, we see here that um, that truth is uh, centered in Christ. The, ch- the church is to be Christocentric in its message of Christ. Christ is at the center of our ministry. Um, and uh, each time we, we hear about a missionary going out and, and establishing um, evangelistic work in an area, whether it's uh, Ed Seeley or Pastor Python or the family that is over in the Ukraine right now that Pastor Bo's church supports, or other churches, uh, other ministries and missions. Um, of course, we, we know that Christine Sears has been in Germany 
for many years uh, ministering there. And uh, the Burley family in New York City uh, is uh, there ministering also to young people as well as uh, having Bible studies and so forth. And uh, there are numerous other missions that you probably are aware of yourself and that you've been uh, in communication with. And each one of these, if they are biblical missions or biblical evangelistic work or churches and or churches that are uh, ministered uh, to by pastors, we find that they all have one thing common, in common, and that is Christ is at the center of their ministries. And so Christ is to be at the center of our ministry as well. And as we look at this passage even, and we find the qualifications for the bishop or the qualifications for the um, the deacons, we find that pastoral ministry is one uh, which is necessary to be thoroughly grounded in the Word of God and in the truth of the Word of God. As Jesus uh, uh, put it so well to his own disciples, saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. We find that uh, this truth of Christ is one that is very important to our work and to all ministries who are seeking to promote the gospel of Christ. So uh, the this, this afternoon, we'll just be looking at these areas here, the pillar and foundation of truth, or the pillar and ground of truth, uh, being in, in Christ, of course, and in that truth which is of Christ. Uh, the office of the deacon is an office of discernment and faith. Uh, as we understand that um, not unlike the pastor's office or the bishop's office, um, or elder, as it is sometimes referred to, we find that uh, these are to be grounded in the, in the true spirit of God and in faith in Christ. Uh, the deacons must be a man of good conduct and bold in faith. And you probably remember how that in the book of Acts, the first deacons were established and, and uh, that these were seven men of faith and that were bold in faith and and uh, we even perhaps remember Stephen and how he was the first martyr of the church uh, the boldness of those who are called to the ministry must be a part of their lives and we find in the very early church these uh, these men who were called of God truly were bold uh, for God and these uh, these deacons were that were called uh, and were able to minister they were to be bold in their faith Timothy is instructed that the church is the pillar and foundation of truth um, and uh, this of course is uh, essential to our understanding as uh, men and women of God we truly need to uh, make very clear to 
all the brethren that uh, the true foundation of uh, the truth of the word of God is to be in Christ and it is disseminated by the church. Uh, The revelation of the doctrines of Christ is the creed of the church. And if anything, in, in, in summary, perhaps verse 16 is somewhat that to us when we look at that. Although it doesn't include many of the doctrines, it summarizes some very important doctrines that are of Christ, which we will look at a little bit later. Let us uh, first here just uh, look at verse 8. He says, In like manner must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre. Well, over the years I've seen uh, quite a few perhaps deacons who, shall I say, haven't exactly lived up to such qualifications, uh, unfortunately. And uh, sometimes churches are, are desperate to find people to fill positions, and so they, they bring people in who should not be holding those kinds of positions. And um, maybe you have witnessed that sort of thing. I certainly have. And, um, but here is the godly, the godly qualifications. Um, and it is that the deacons must be, must be grave, serious-minded, sober-minded, um, and certainly not one to be double-tongued saying one thing and doing another, or being in some way um, unworthy of, uh, of the truth, not speaking the truth clearly. Um, or somehow distorting it. <clears throat> Not given too much wine, of course, we know here again that wine was a, uh, was a beverage of the early New Testament, uh, first century, um, and uh, there is much uh, reason why that uh, this is here, of course, that those who would be a part of the Church of Jesus Christ would not be like the populace, the the people at large, but they would hold a higher standard. And uh, this is, uh, God always places his people to a higher standard because he wants his people to be a true witness of him. And, uh, you know, Pastor Bo was mentioning this morning in the book of Romans how that the Pharisees Though they believed in the law, though they, though they practiced the law, though they, they um, were supposed to be examples of the law, they themselves did not truly live the letter of the law, the spirit of the law, I should say. They did not live the spirit of the law. And um, we can know things in our head, but don't do them from the heart the way that we should. And uh, we find that, if anything, the 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 pastor and the, the deacons ought to be doing those kinds of things from the heart that is truly in keeping with Christ, with who Christ is, and ought to be living up to uh, that standard, as it were. And it is not an impossible standard to live up to. 
if one is walking with the Lord, if one is truly seeking to live for the Lord. Now, we do know that this isn't talking about sinless perfection or anything. This is talking about uh, living out the, your experience in a way that is making a good testimony and witness for Christ. And uh, these things are meant to, to show that. Not greedy of filthy money or, uh, or being one who is driven by money. Um, which goes to a lot of uh, vices, by the way. Uh, and uh, we know that even in the first century, um, though the economy was different, though people uh, lived differently in a, in a different culture than what we do today, we know that the basic need for finances and the basic need for honesty and the basic need for uh, living true to one's convictions and, and uh, especially when it comes to those who would call themselves believers or Christians, um, it, it meant that either you were living up to your testimony or you weren't. And uh, we know that uh, what goes on in the world is nowhere near what uh, we should be living. We should be living the standard that Christ holds up for us. Holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. Now, of course, the idea of the mystery isn't something that cannot be known. It's just something, it is something that was revealed. Paul, Paul, of course, was, was giving out revelation that God had given to him. And the mystery of Christ, Christ in you, the hope of glory, was a mystery that was unheard of in the Old Testament, to, that God could come and indwell the believer. Uh, we know that the Holy Spirit came upon people in the Old Testament, but the Holy Spirit did not come and infill every believe, every person who who had the fear of God in them. They they walked in the fear of God, but not every person was indwelt by the Spirit of God the way that Christ meant for it to happen after His death, burial, and resurrection. And we know that the Spirit of God did come down on the day of Pentecost and, and did fill the hearts of all those who believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And even today you are a testimony to the filling of the Spirit of God in your life. Because Christ is in you if you have come to faith in Christ. And so we find holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. For by grace are ye saved through faith. We know that faith to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and to come to that knowledge of Christ. Those who would hold this truth. The pastor the bishop, the elder, the deacons, there to be men who hold this mystery of faith with a pure conscience, with true hearts toward God. And let these also first be proved then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. And of course, we know that that verse is added there because 
we should not just put anyone into an office pastor or deacon, bishop or deacon, elder or deacon we should not put anyone in an office without knowing their true spiritual life. And so they must be, there must be some, some uh, proof of their faith. There must be some proof of their pure conscience. There must be some proof that they are holding the mystery of the faith of Jesus Christ in a pure conscience. Not hypocritically, for sure, but with a pure conscience. And let these also first be proved, and let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. Being found blameless. Now, it, it, it is not uh, unreasonable that these kinds of qualifications should be listed for us. Or that we should hold people to them who would hold either the office of a deacon or the office of a pastor. We ought to, ha we ought to know the men who are standing behind the pulpit and the men who were standing behind the pastor I remember some years ago I heard a pastor say that he had taken a church <clears throat> and of course he had to meet the deacon board and he wanted to know whether or not the deacon board was with him and so he told them that they was all fired unless they would back him 100% in the word of God in the pure faith and a pure conscience of the scriptures. In other words, he wanted to know where, where they really stood. That, it, that he wasn't walking into some political system. That he was coming to a spiritual group of people who believed that he had been called because he was a man of God and that he wanted to know that the men who were standing behind him were likewise men of God. See, that is necessary, isn't it? Isn't that? The, the deacons are, are to be that kind of counselors to the pastor. They're to be men of pure faith and conscience. And they are to be men who can be trusted and that you, the pastor can go to and talk to and realize that, uh, that he can hear what they are saying because they are spiritual men. And he can understand how he should govern as a pastor, how he should lead as a pastor, spiritually, with that group of people that, that are a part of his uh, leadership. And so I think, I think it is very important that we realize that these men 
these men who we call deacons, servants, deaconios, and that they are, they are true servants of God in faith that have a pure conscience toward God. And let these also first be proved, then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. And so if they, if they truly are men of the Spirit of God, then they could, they should be able to use the office that they have been given, that have been appointed to, have been called to, in a way that will be both in faith and in spirit, and in Christ. I think perhaps you know sometimes that's why churches end up with people that are not really qualified because they they really don't understand what they are being called to. And sometimes churches become little political hotbeds, unfortunately. And it's... uh, brings shame upon the church. And perhaps you have known churches that have been like that and have had a terrible testimony in communities and should never be like that at all. But unfortunately that's what happens sometimes. And we should guard against that. We should guard against it. And so the office of the deacon is an office of discernment and faith. Discernment. They have to be men of faith. They have to be men of pure conscience. They have to be able to discern the spiritual discernments needed. The deacon must be a man of good conduct and bold in faith. Bold in faith. So in verse 11 to 13, Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderous, sober-minded, faithful in all things. And of course... Uh, the reason wives are mentioned is because they're just as vital, vital to the role of the husband who is a deacon because they must be supportive of those kinds of things that uh, the deacon would be required to pursue in faith and in pure conscience. So they should not be in any way in, in contradiction. But they should be Wives that are true, seriously, they're serious-minded women. They're godly women. They they don't uh, slander. Uh, they're sober-minded. They of true faith and of true godliness, and they're faithful in all things. And again, this uh, this is not too much to ask uh, if one is going to be a wife. And I, I think that is uh, very, very important uh, that women also realize how significant their role is. The wives are, are so significant to the husband, especially if they happen to be holding a, an office such as deacon or pastor. It's, it's so significant that it isn't belittling the women at all, but rather they, they serve a very important role. And uh, it, it even shows uh, the, you could just imagine if it was anything to the contrary, it would be disastrous. Um, also, verse 12, let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses. And 
Of course, this uh, again, this goes to the culture of the day. Um, I just uh, heard some statistics, I believe it was yesterday, um, that said that only 39% of the American public believe that religion and faith in God is important. And that's down from 62%, which I think was maybe back in the 80s or 90s. Now it's down to 39%. And they also gave statistics about um, marriage and uh, whether or not uh, the population believed marriage was important and that also was extremely low. That, that, that the American public do not believe marriage is that important anymore. And I think our culture reflects that, doesn't it? It reflects it. What we are seeing and what is going on in our, in our culture today, it reflects these very things. Children are not being brought up in Christian homes or even in religious homes or even in homes where they believe that there is a God. They're not being brought up and taught. And because of this, uh, all of the other kinds of morals which we would adhere to are, are, under, are eroded. They're, they're, just, they're just falling by the wayside. As I don't know what the statistic is today, but um, it must be about probably at least 75 or 80 percent of young people don't think it's necessary to be married before they have some kind of relationship with their partner. They don't think they have to be married at all. And most people that I know always live together before they ever get married. And again, this is just a reflection of what is going on in our culture. Was it different in, in the, the first century? Well, of course, I suppose we would have to live there and, and, and find out for ourselves, but from anything that we know in history, the Roman culture was not altogether that monogamous. That uh, there was, there was um, multiple um, types of things going on, uh, which we don't need to go into. But So is it necessary to to make sure that uh, the deacon is, is a man who has one wife rather than, than multiple wives. Uh, it seems to be that it was in Paul's day that he believed that it was necessary. And uh, that as uh, a deacon they, they might truly represent themselves well in the family. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife ruling their children and their own houses. And so it mentions the children as well here. And uh, I suppose we can only just imagine uh, what might have been the opposite of that case in the first century. But we know what's going on today. For they that have used the office of a deacon well purchased to themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ. And so, um, boldness in the faith which is in Christ. 
as we think about being bold in Christ, I think somehow our culture has shell-shocked many Christians so that many Christians sometimes do not even want to speak up because of the repercussions they're going to get. But we find here that the deacon is not supposed to shy away from a bold stand for the Lord in Christ, a bold stand in Christ. In fact, it seems that um, the pastor and deacons must be, must be very bold in their faith to stand for Christ. Otherwise, the congregation will not be standing with them. But it may reflect upon the congregation greatly if they, if they shy away, if the deacons and the pastor does not truly uh, stand up clearly for, for the faith in Christ, then it will reflect in the congregation. And then he goes on in verse 14 saying, These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. Paul did want to come and, and to be there at Ephesus and to um, perhaps say some things in person um, to encourage Timothy as well as to speak to the congregation. He says, but if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. And so Timothy is instructed that the church is the pillar and foundation of truth. Now we know the pillar was a, a um, architectural part of the buildings in the first century. There were many, of course, many structures that had pillars in them uh, in the first century. They held the buildings up. <laughs> they, uh, they supported the superstructure. And uh, if you've seen the Parthenon or any of those great buildings of, of uh, the day, uh, you know that that is true. But not only so, we know the same thing was true in many other buildings and uh, and so the the support of the church as well as the foundation of the church is at stake if the truth of the word of God is not forthrightly supported and that's what he's using here to remind us of that the pillar and and foundation of, of the pillar and ground of truth. He talks about the pillar and ground of truth. Using these, these uh, kinds of things to give us a visual almost of a, of a building and how that it is supported and how there is a foundation to it. And for the church of Jesus Christ, the truth which is in Christ, the truth which is in pure faith in Christ, 
by the deacon the, the truth which is supported because of the pastor and of his qualifications and of his great desire to serve God. This is a true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. And so whether, whether one or the other or both, we recognize that the truth is at stake in the church if the pastor and deacons are not soundly supporting that truth which is in Christ Jesus. And so this, this truth is important. And he calls it the house of God, which is the church of the living God. The house of God, which is the church of the living God. And we can only imagine that probably Paul put it this way, because there were many buildings and temples and of idolatry, which were not of the living God, which were nothing but the facade of, of religion which was built off from spiritual superstition or mythological superstition or just simply the hedonism or the lustful desires of men and women. But the church is to have none of that. The true church of the living God is to be built off from the word of God. That word which is truly the revelation of God to man, which otherwise man would not know, save God give it. As all true revelation is. It is God-given revelation. And so we find that the higher we hold up the standard of the truth of the Word of God, the greater support we give to the structure, the church. It is the pillar and, and foundation of truth that we are talking about. And then he goes on at the end here, and uh, this has to be, you know, almost, we, we might even say, well, this verse must be out of place in some sense, because he's talking about the office of the bishop and the office of the deacon. Why does he include this? Except that we know that it is the integral part of the very thing that the bishop and the deacons are to be standing for. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. He, t he talked about this, this mystery of the faith in a pure conscience in verse 9. So he talks here now about this mystery of godliness, which was manifested in the flesh. What is that but the incarnation? The mystery of godliness... God was manifest in the flesh. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. 
And so this mystery of godliness, what is it? Christ was manifest in the flesh. The incarnation. Justified in the spirit. Now we know that Jesus Christ was the sinless son of God. We are justified because of Christ. He is, he is not justified by any. He is the righteousness of God. We, are, we have the righteousness of God in him. And so what, in what sense is he is justified in the spirit? Well, we find at the beginning of his earthly ministry, John the Baptist pointed him out as the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And John the Baptist, even by Christ, is said to be one of the, one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament. And what, what happened then? But that the Spirit of God descended upon the Lord Jesus Christ, and God himself pointed out that Jesus was truly the Christ. The Spirit of God descended upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Now if that isn't being justified by the Holy Spirit of God, what is? God pointed out Him to be the Son of God. And I believe uh, Pastor Bo may have mentioned the transfiguration this morning. That also was a moment of, of uh, revealing that God was uh, holding up his son as the only one who was worthy of receiving any kind of glory and certainly Moses and Elijah shouldn't receive any kind of temple or, or booth or whatever they wanted to build to him no, only Jesus Christ The angels themselves came down and announced that Jesus Christ is truly the Son of God to Mary. Mary believed it. The shepherds came and worshipped. And then later on we know that the wise men from the east came and offered gifts. All the way along in Jesus' ministry, the Spirit of God was demonstrated in the person and work of Jesus Christ. All the way along in his ministry. Every miracle that he ever did. Every prophecy that he spoke and fulfilled. Justified in the spirit. Seen of angels. Well, of course, angels did minister to Christ. Even... When Jesus was tempted in John chapter 4, he was led up of the Spirit in the wilderness. Led up of the Spirit in the wilderness. The Spirit of God led Jesus up into the wilderness that he might be tempted. And angels were present to minister to him whenever needed. Even the verse that the Satan quoted that Lest he dash his foot against a stone, angels would bear him up. And who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death? But Christ himself. Angels in the Garden of Gethsemane ministering. He could have called 10,000 angels as it were, when he was on the cross to deliver him from it. 
from his plight, but he wouldn't even speak a word to do it because he himself was called to bear our sins upon the cross. Preached unto the nations, well certainly certainly the twelve were to take the message of Christ unto the nations, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and lo, I will be with you always. And uh, even though one of them became the son of perdition, God called Paul out of due time and he became an apostle. Though I suppose some might argue that he wasn't one of the twelve. But then they did choose one of their own. But nonetheless, we find that the preaching of the cross became the true message to be taken to the nations. To the nations. Preached unto the nations, the Gentile nations, all the nations of the world. And I guess we can say that's still going on, isn't it? I don't think it stopped yet. Believed on in the world, there's no other, no other true faith of the living God that has been so wonderfully given throughout the ends of the earth than the message of Christ. And so we find that the message of Christ continues to be believed, even today in the 21st century. Believed on in the world, received up into glory, while well, we know that he was truly um, received up into glory. John 17, Jesus prayed that he would have that glory that he had with his father one day, he would have it. And we know that he did ascend up to the right hand of the Father and there makes intercession for us. And that he will come again in like manner even as he went. These truths that we speak about here, they form that that Christocentric doctrine which the church considers to be its truth, core truth. Yes, there there are other things, but they all connect to Christ. The doctrine of God connects to Christ. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The doctrine of hell connects to Christ because Christ himself spoke of hell often. Doctrine of angels connects to Christ because we know that angels were created beings of God and that Christ was not an emanating angel, as the Gnostics might put it, but he is truly the Son of God. He's called the second Adam. 
because he was born into this world of a woman. But he is the incarnate of God and not of the seed of man. He was of the seed of the woman, which somewhat of an impossibility apart from God, you see. And he is truly the Son of God, and now we know he has been received up into glory. And these truths, and many more which connect to Christ, are all a part of what is being preached in churches, and should be preached in churches concerning him. But Christ is always at the center of it. Always at the center. And, and it's a great mistake if any pastors try preaching a doctrine and don't mention Jesus. It's a great mistake. And so we find the pillar and the foundation of truth. I use that title because it seems it all comes down to that one verse in verse 16. There's no need to have a pastor or a bishop. There's no need to have a deacon. There's no need to have those two offices which are, which, which are the true offices of the church of God unless you have a true living Savior such as Jesus Christ himself. And of those doctrines which reveal that he is truly the living Son of God. Well, it's much for us to think about, isn't it? It is. And so we give praise and glory to God for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, whom we celebrate and remember this time of the year. Though we would have to say every single Sunday we come together is a celebration of the risen Christ and should be at, at the center of our thinking. The death the burial and the resurrection and the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. Shall we pray? Loving Father, we do thank you for your word to us. I pray you will bring things to our mind and to our hearts and attention that we might think and meditate upon these things and that we may remember how Christ is at the center, the pillar and ground and truth of the living God the Church of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen.